This is the ID Fanatic Podcast, coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto on Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. The podcast where we talk to real instructional designers for one half hour about their lives, their careers, and how they keep it all together. My guest today is Tamika Stewart, who calls herself an instructional architect from Kingston, Jamaica. Tamika, welcome to the show. Hi. How are you doing today? And is it, uh, are you in Kingston or in uh, Montego Bay? I saw somewhere else. Well, um, so a lot have happened over the last year. So I am originally in Kingston. I had moved to Kingston in 2000 and maybe, I think 2016, um, somewhere in May. I moved for work. Um, oh. I, I came back to Montego Bay in May of last year. Um, because unfortunately my mom passed, so oh, I'm I've sorry. Been, that's fine. Um, I've been in Montego Bay since, so I actually live in two places now. <laughs> so you're you're originally from Montego Bay. I am. Well, no, I'm originally from Kingston, who relocated to Montego Bay, then went to Kingston for school, then came back to Montego Bay, worked for a couple of years, and then went back to Kingston for work. Hmm. <laughs> When I was Googling you, I found a bunch of Tamika Stewart's. Is uh, uh, Stewart a common name in Jamaica? It probably is, and they spell it in different ways. So my Stewart is actually spelled S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Yeah, yeah. But the Stewart spelled S-T-U-A-R-T. But um, the S-T-E-W-A-R-T is somewhat common. The first name is actually more common in Jamaica because when I went to university there was another young lady that was on campus by the name of tamika we were actually um we were actually on the same hall but she just lived in a different cluster than i did and her name was actually tamika stewart too (laughs) uh i have to tell my two listeners that i met you at the weekly global learning and development meetup uh, mygldc.org if you want to join so this is a place where instructional designers just hang out and talk a bit. So what do you what do you get from it? So for me, I get to meet persons who are in the same field that I am, um, which is a big thing for me because in Jamaica we do have um, instructional designers, but it's definitely not a career that you hear a lot about. It's not as common. Um, the ones that I am aware of are actually those who are sitting on like college boards or university boards. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recently, I know we had one business organization that actually um, put out an ad for an instructional designer. Um, and so maybe companies have them, but you're not really hearing a lot about them. So my community here in Jamaica wasn't, it, there was no community available to me, so to speak. So the biggest um, the biggest plus for me about the meetups was I was able to meet persons who were in the same field that I was, had the same questions, same thought processes. A lot of our journeys sounded similar. You know, it was it was it was good, and I decided to just continue coming. Um, and I could throw things, you know, ask questions, get responses, mm-hmm. and so that is what actually motivated me to keep coming each week. So, in terms of your journey, you started working as a high school teacher, and then for a couple of years, and then left to be a trainer for a debt collector. Is that right? (laughs) That's almost right. So funny story about that. Um, I went to university in 2006 and the plan was not to do (laughs) instructional design. 
I actually wanted to become a journalist. <laughs> um, so I went to the University of the West Indies, um, that, and that's in Kingston, Jamaica. It's in Mona. Um, I have my first degree in English. I applied for media and communications. I did not get through for that faculty. Um, I got through for English and I decided, you know what, let me just go ahead. Um, initially, the plan was to make a switch after the first year, but then I enjoyed it because I actually got the opportunity to read a lot of books and I love reading. Um, and so I said, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stick with it. So I actually stuck with that degree for, for the three years I graduated in 2009. And then I did some research and actually found out that a lot of media people actually have a, a degree in English. And I said, okay, um, so somehow the, the transition can be made, right? But um, I did not have any luck with my job search in Kingston. And so that's how I ended up back home in Montego Bay. <laughs> um, and I saw in our local newspaper, they had, uh, they had put out an ad for an English teacher from my alma mater. Yeah. And I said, All right, I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot. So I applied. Um, they called me for interview. I went through the interviews and I actually got the job. <laughs> so um, it wasn't permanent, though. It was contract. Um, the original teacher had to go back to school to get her first degree. And so um, they hired me. It was supposed to originally have been for just a year. Um, and I had my first group of 11 graders to teach. Um, in Jamaica, your 11th graders are those students who are doing like big exams to enter into college. We call that exam a CXC. Um, so there was a lot of pressure on me that year because as a new teacher, one who has never taught before, um, entering into the school system and taking on a grade 11 group, um, there were a lot of um, expectations and I'm sure some fears. Um, but um, after I settled in and they they kind of trusted me <laughs> and they realized that I had a lot of knowledge because of course um, that degree in English saw me reading a lot of books. And so I was teaching language and literature. Right. So, um, the year turned out great. The highest three passes came from my class um, for that subject for the school that year. And um, my head of department was impressed and she decided she was gonna take her vacation. She was due eight months leave at the time and have me teach her <laughs> her classes while she was away. It really, she was hoping to keep me on permanently, but it didn't work out that way. And so um, I had to move on and that's how I actually entered into training. Um, another ad was put out for a training manager for a BPO um, company in Montego Bay. And I decided to take a chance at that as well, seen as I had some foundation in, um, in teaching. And I applied, went through the interview process, and, and got selected. Um, and so that's basically how my, my journey began. And you were doing uh, call center training there? Yes. Um, so we were doing, um, that company actually had different accounts. So we had collections projects. We had customer service um, accounts. We also had a couple of telecommunications as well for uh, sales. So it was sales, customer service, and collections. And it was a mixture of third-party and first-party collections. And the training was all in class situations? Yes. For the most part, they were face-to-face uh, -face trainings um, until the company onboarded an, an LMS. And we started doing some compliance trainings 
through the LMS, we started doing leadership trainings, but for the most part, especially our new hire training. Um, for my first three years, the new hire training was face-to-face. Um, when we onboarded the LMS, then we um, built out the curriculum in the LMS for our new hires, and then we had them using the LMS. Uh, of course, there was a couple glitches, but we still were not um, training where they were not on site. The latest, uh, the pandemic and before the pandemic, uh, distance learning or, or or webinars and things have become, or, or online courses have become a big deal. And I see on your, you've done some blogging for LinkedIn. Uh, you put up you put up five articles and since January. Is this a sort of a new strategy that you got? Well, I, I maybe it wasn't even a strategy. Um, I always liked writing. The first one kind of came by way of, I kind of got the urge to just put something out there. And so I, I did. And um, I realized that there were a couple people that really appreciated the information. And so that gave way to the second one, which gave way to the third one. And now we're at five. <laughs> yeah. It's quite a pace. Um, there was a line in your article about the rise of distance learning uh, both before and during the pandemic that I found quite interesting. I'm going to quote it in full, okay? Not to embarrass you. Uh, to successfully and effectively utilize distance learning to fill educational and training needs in this era, the instructional environment should be viewed as a system, a relationship among and between all components of that system, the instructor, the learners, the material, and the technology. I wonder if you can just expand on that a little bit for us. Okay, so that that particular article came because I, um, Jamaica, we're, we're pretty much, we've never done distance learning on this broader scale. And I kind of realized that I had um, some issues with my niece because she's now having to do school um, via the distance method because of COVID. Um, and when they started up, they had a couple technical issues, right? Because they're using Zoom, that's the first thing. Um, and of course, because of the the, 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 uh, the immediacy of the pandemic, Zoom was what was available. Um, but I felt like it could be done better, especially because I'm coming from an environment where we have used um, learning management systems and tried to maximize distance learning that way. So essentially, I was trying to point out that when we're talking about distance learning, it's very important that you have a kind of uh, symbiotic relationship between the different elements that are involved. Um, we still have to take the learners into consideration, probably even more so, um, because the learners are having to do a kind of flip from face-to-face -to, -face to distance, and, and, and a lot of them, uh, distance learning is not necessarily a preference. So there needed to be emphasis placed around ensuring that whatever we're going to teach via that method, that we utilize as much as the strategies that we can to ensure that we actually maximize when we do use distance learning to teach um, our learners, especially in this COVID situation. So that's essentially where I was coming from. <laughs> yeah. The word system I found interesting. Why did you use that word to describe it? Because I'm looking at um, the relationship between all the different elements, the learner, the facilitator, the content, and the medium that is being used itself. So when I think about all these different components, it does form a system. And so when you think about it that way, it allows you to maintain that cohesiveness instead of seeing them as being 
separate entities, which they are, but they, there is um, an interconnectedness because of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I try to ask this question of everyone. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a lawyer. But my mom told me that I I used to have school on Sundays on the banis, um, on on what we call, uh, you guys call it a porch. Uh, In Jamaica, we call it a a veranda. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we had banisters. And apparently I was out there on Sundays um, teaching them. having school. Um, and I was always, I always had that creative streak. I used to make her cards and stuff. And she said, um, she always knew that I, I would do something. She wasn't quite sure what it was, but she knew it had to do with, um, maybe writing is what she was thinking. But strangely enough, I wanted to be a lawyer, uh, when I was younger. And then that changed in high school when I decided I wanted to, to do journalism, of course, because I wanted to write. (laughs) Do you remember why you wanted to be a lawyer? I don't actually. I don't even know where that came from. Just, Something from television, know. perhaps? Could be. I didn't watch a lot of television as a child, though. I was mostly a book person, was always reading, always liked to read different things, um, different kinds of books. Uh, my father always encouraged us to read, especially the, the paper on a Sunday. Um, and so I, I kind of just took to it. So I wasn't really big on television. I used to do just a lot of reading. I would read everything. <laughs> How did you discover that uh, instructional design was a thing? So, yeah, pretty interesting story about that as well. So I was midway in my career as a training manager. Um when I started, I was being mentored by my director at the time, and she was the one that was responsible for building out um, the training courses for the site. She needed someone that had the capability to be able to do that, and um, and I guess that's why she um, she chose me as the person she wanted to hire mm. um, because she felt with my background in teaching um, that you know I would be able mm. to understand the learning process a little bit more, so I I could you know, be, be more of more help. And so she actually took me under her wings and started showing me how to, um, to build out training at the time we were using PowerPoint. And, um, I, I kind of started out by reviewing what she was doing. And then she would give me a couple interventions to go ahead and do the process with and upload it to the learning management system. And then I actually, decided to do some research and I realized that there was something called instructional design. Um, I tried to get the degree in it offered at any of our local universities at the time that was in 2015. And so um, I did a little bit more research and I came across Walden, Walden University and realized that I could stay in Jamaica and get my master's online distance education. <laughs> okay, but I thought you had a, uh, it says, uh, what did you, what was the certificate in instructional technology in, at the That's micro that. university? That one was a brief um, course. It was done by our micro college here in Jamaica. Um, and essentially what they did was they talked us, um, taught us how to put together, like um, include things in uh, your, your presentation for for um for your classes. So for example, 
most of our high school teachers would just facilitate a class without incorporating technology. That's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So that that course that the Michael College put out, because that college is responsible for training our teachers locally. Um, it's a pretty pretty it's a pretty big deal here. And so they saw the need for um, our teachers to learn to introduce more technology into the curriculum, um, not just stick with the books. And so they rolled out that um, in that year, and I participated in that training. Um, it was a couple weeks over the summer. So you decided to do your master's last year. It's very impressive. Um, how did you find the uh, doing an online master's uh, for an American university? Because uh, actually I've been thinking about it myself. That was interesting. Actually, I started my degree in 2015. I was still I was still a training manager at the time, still had a responsibility for the entire site, um, though I had uh, three trainers working with me. Um, it was quite an adjustment. Um, I ended up doing most of my work on the weekends. Um, it wasn't a situation where I needed to be in, um, in a classroom or in a class or in a session. Um, it was done in such a way that you would, you, would, you would be able to go in at any time and be able to complete your, um, your pieces. You did have uh, specific days that you had to turn stuff in. I, I'm trying to remember. I'm thinking, I know I had to turn stuff in on a Sunday, and I think that I also had to turn stuff in on a Wednesday and a Friday. Um, and you also had discussion boards um, where you know you'd be responding to to certain questions. You had to um, you know put the responses on discussion boards. So they made it in such a way that even though you were doing it from a distance, it still had the requirements mm-hmm. um, right as a as a as a degree from a face to face institution would. So. It required a lot of, I, I did a lot of reading, most of most of it being done once I got through with work um, on a weekday. Um, so I had to make the adjustments there as well. Sometimes I got home and I was tired, but I still had to do readings because I had to submit my discussion or I had to submit some piece of work. <laughs> did you have to specialize? Did you have a thesis? I specialized, yes, training and performance management. And um, it was done in the form of me actually creating a course, doing everything from from beginning to end, the entire process. So I had to pick an organization. I had to analyze the training problem. I had to design the solution, um, and then I had to submit it that way. Um, that was the final. That was the final piece. I did that in 2019, and so I actually graduated in August of last of 2019, not last year. As if, as if last year didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. I've, I've thought of doing one myself, but in cognitive science, which was my bachelor's degree, uh, I'm interested in studying the role of procrastination in creative work. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think of that? I think I'm that's a, an I'm excellent a... study. I don't know, but I think creatives tend to procrastinate. I don't know why. Maybe that's that's the thing we need to overcome to do what it is that we have to do, but um, as a creative myself, I have a lot of ideas, but the the issue is they just get put off. Um, mm-hmm. In most of the cases, they they get put off. But I've made a a promise to myself that I'm not going to do that anymore. That I'm actually going to give mm-hmm. my ideas a chance. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm partial to the theory that procrastination is actually part of the process. So don't skip it altogether. 
Oh. <laughs> Got you. Um, so many of our listeners are emerging instructional designers. I guess you've talked about how you started an idea, you had a kind of a mentorship, which is which is really nice. <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually um, doing freelance and consultant work. Um, that's, that's been good because it's helped me to, you know, to build my skills even more. Um, and I appreciate the local organizations that have given me an opportunity as a um, young upcoming instructional designer um, to trust me with their projects. <laughs> that was the next question. Everybody wants to know, where do you find your clients? Um, so interesting story. So there's a lot of interesting stories, but but this particular one, my very first client um, is a local business. They have two locations, one in Kingston and one in Montego Bay. Um, they actually do fans and ACs and things like that. Um, that one came by way of a call from the business owner herself. Um, she was aware of what I was doing and she was having some performance problem with her customer service department. And um, she just called me up one evening and she said, um, Tamika, I'm having some problems with my customer service agents and you may be able to help me. Um, I just want you to come in and um, see what's going on, um, you know, and um, listen on and see, you know, if you can help me to figure out what really is going on with that particular department. She did not like the performance that she was getting from that group. And that's how I actually got my first client. My first client came to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and, um, and there have been one in pretty much the same way too. Um, they called me up because they knew I had a background in training um, and training management. And, um, and they're aware of what it is that I do. So they just gave me a call and, and I decided to take on the challenge. And that's how I started. And are you developing uh, mainly online training now or is it a blended solution? Well, my first two solutions were face-to-face. -face. Um, one was more of a workshop. I did an actual workshop. Um, the one that I got first, I kind of stayed on with them for maybe about three to four months. And mm -hmm. yes, I did have face-to-face -face trainings um, in their conference room because they don't have a formal training room. Um, and they did not have a learning management system or anything of the sort either. So. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to fully develop uh, online training just yet. Um, as I said, it's 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 pretty new to Jamaica. A lot of persons are transitioning now because we were more in the mode of face-to-face -face learning events and learning interventions. So it's it's still pretty untouched um, frontier here, but it's getting more clout though. <laughs> it's becoming more popular, um, especially because of the pandemic. The experience I do have in online training came with my last, well, not the last position, but the one prior to that. In my last role, I was a senior training manager. That's the one I actually um, moved on from that first role for. But okay. in that first one, um, where I was being mentored by my director, yes, um, when they launched their learning management system, it was pretty much new to everybody, this idea of learning virtually, um, conducting classes virtually was new. And so I was able to, to jump on board and work very closely with them um, on that. And so I got a lot of virtual training experience mm -hmm. um, through that because even though I had my trainers, um, I, as the training manager, a lot of the times I actually had to go through the training myself and then, you know, turn around and train my trainers. Yeah. 
All right. Before we close, I got a, a few questions about your your personal life and how you juggle your different roles. Uh, what's your family situation at the moment? So right now, um, I'm I have three nieces, three nieces and a nephew. I have no children of my own. Um, so it's just me and my nieces and my nephew right now. <laughs> she was the one that inspired um, the first uh, piece of um, LinkedIn article. Um, she's actually going to, we call it prep school here. Um, she's in grade four. So she's doing classes via via Zoom. But they, they don't live with you. Yes, we are actually all in the same home. Oh. <laughs> with yes. with your sibling? Yes. Very good. How how do you all get along? <laughs> it is interesting. I have two that are in their um early twenties. One turned twenty two one turned twenty two on Monday. And um there's one that's gonna be twenty four come May. They keep me on my toes. <laughs> Um, and they keep me on trend. So if I don't know what's going on um, via social media or any of that, then they keep me up to date. But for the most part, um, we have a very good relationship. Um, I talk to them about practically anything and, and they feel comfortable to come to me and talk to me as well. So um, we're, we're pretty good, no cat fights. So how do you describe your work-life balance? Um, so for right now, I'm able to, to balance um, pretty much. So on days when um, my smaller niece has school, I would just take some other area in the house. Um, there are times when both of us may end up in the same space, depending. Um, but for the most part, um, she has three sessions per day. So I'm able to work around her time. She usually starts a little bit earlier than I do. And, and because I do what I do, I'm, I'm pretty flexible, except when I have meetings, if I have client meetings, then usually if I have client meetings, I have to get the word out like maybe a day or two. Like for this, for this podcast, for this interview, I had to give the notice two days in advance to say, mm -hmm. listen, I'm going to do this. I do not want to be disturbed. Do not call. Do not shout. Uh -huh. If anyone is dying, <laughs> whisper. Um, so we pretty much work around each other like that, and it um, it's fine. It, it works out, and I'm still able to do what I I need to do. Yeah, it's the it's the same here. I that's why I record in the morning so my kids don't come flying through the room. Thanks. All right, that's the two minute warning. To wrap up, I like to ask ten questions that uh, used to be used at the end of there was a show here called The Actor Studio where uh, James Lipton used to interview actors who went to the uh, actor studio in New York that were now famous. So there's 10 questions. The idea is to just say the first thing that pops into your mind and not to think too much about it. Got it. Okay. Uh, here's the number one. What's your favorite word? Eclectic. What's your least favorite word? Borrow came to mind. <laughs> Never a, a borrower, a lender be. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Spiritually, um, the Bible. I read a lot. I'm a Jesus girl. Um, creatively, I watch a lot of YouTube videos. Um, 
Um, I'm on Instagram. I love creativity, actually, in all its forms. And what was in the third one? It was emotionally music. Hmm. And what turns you off? Noise. I like quiet. So noise. Yeah. Noise puts me in a bad place. What is your favorite curse word? I don't curse. <laughs> ah, Bible girl. Yes, I, I don't curse. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Birds. And what sound or noise do you hate? Loud, clanging, banging noises. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Journalism. What profession would you not like to do? Anything having to do with the sciences or math. Mm. And the final question, uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? That's easy. Well done, my good and faithful servant. <laughs> and we're out. Thank you, Tamika Stewart, for coming on today. It was great meeting you online. The ID Fanatic drops every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time. I hope you're inspired to subscribe and to get notices of upcoming episodes. Sign up at theidfanatic.com. You'll also get a free gift of my instructional design cheat sheet. You can contact me, Mitch Moldovsky, on LinkedIn, and I hope that you and yours have a totally awesome week. Bye-bye-bye.